Well, as OJ mentioned, we are in our series called Undone. And in this series, we're looking at the things that we do and the things that we leave undone. And what we're saying is our behaviors matter. It matters because the things we do build character. And so first and foremost, who do you want to be? What do you want to be known for? Your behaviors will accumulate layer upon layer to fashion the character that you have. And not only your character, there's something at stake here. God is building his infinite and eternal kingdom. And so what we do with our life matters because we can either participate or we can sit on the sidelines. And God has given us the great invitation to, to jump in with him. So in this series, we're looking at the seven vices and the seven corresponding virtues. And we're doing this not to create a list of do's and don'ts. We wouldn't be very good at following those do's and don'ts anyway. That's not the purpose uh, of this series. The vices should act as a cautionary sign uh, of a life that we shouldn't pursue that life because it's not what God had in mind for us when he thought us up. But the vices should be an invitation into the good life that God has in mind for us when he thought us up. They're aspirational and that we'll never live them perfectly, but we can aspire to. They're also invitational that when we see the wisdom, when we see the beauty of what God had in mind when he thought you up about the way life should be lived, they draw us out of ourselves and into relationship with God where then we can get the grace and the power we need to live the life God calls us to, a life that is virtuous and a life that honors him. This morning, as OJ mentioned, we're going to be talking about the virtue of generosity. And if you were with us last week, we talked about greed. And I mentioned that greed is not something most people think they have. In fact, I've been leading a group of guys these last 10 years. Uh, every year, there's kind of a new group of guys. And over the 10 years, there have been almost 100 guys come through. And we talk about what's going on in our lives, and we share openly. And in 10 years, not one guy has ever come into group and said, hey, I need some time. I'm really wrestling with greed. Why is that? Is it because no one has ever been greedy? Well, uh, it's, it's, it's because most people don't think they have greed. And if they do, it's really hard to detect it in our lives. But the truth is we all have struggled with greed at one time or another. All right. And so the reason it's hard for us is greed is really, really sneaky. It's hard to detect because it's hard to find. Uh, I mentioned that uh, my least favorite chore is to go through the mulch beds around the house and pull out weeds. Um, and so to motivate myself to kind of get myself to do this, because uh, I don't like doing it, um, I've noticed that some weeds, they're just out there and you can pull them, but some weeds, they're sneaky. They like to hide underneath the viburnum or in the grasses or in the flowers that Jill has planted. And, and so I make it my game to find those weeds, especially and to pull them out. And greed's just like that. It hides behind the virtue. It may sound like, hey, I'm just a good saver. And doesn't the Bible say that we should be saving? It's, it's a virtue, right? Yep. I'm just a good planner. Yeah, the Bible says the plans of the diligent will lead to advantage. And so it seems like a virtue, right? I'm preparing for my future. I'm frugal. I make a little bit go a long way. All these things sound great. But you see, greed is a heart issue. It's a trust issue. Are you trusting money or are you trusting God? 
And so greed can look like a virtue, but in reality, you might be scared and holding on to worry, and your actions are motivated by greed. So, how do we pull this sneaky weed of greed out of our hearts? We looked at the parable in Luke 12 where Jesus gave a parable specifically about greed. And if you'll recall, he tells the story of this rich farmer who upon all the wealth that he already has, has a bumper crop that you could just only pray for. And he has so much harvest that his storage units aren't sufficient and so he has to build more and bigger barns. It's what any entrepreneur would do, right? I got increased, let's do it. But there was a problem going on and it was a heart issue. You see, what was going on in his heart is he never gave anybody else a single thought. He thought it was all for him. And that very night, God speaks to him and he calls him a fool. He says, you fool, you thought you were hoarding this up for yourself, but this very night, your life will be required of you and none of the things you've accumulated can you take with you. It's pretty stern. God said that he was acting foolish. Why? Well, because of greed. Listen to this quote from Pastor Andy Stanley. He says, if you're not willing to give to the point that impacts your lifestyle, then according to Jesus, you're greedy. If you're consuming to the point of having little or nothing to give, you're greedy. If you are consuming and saving to the point where there's nothing or little to give, then you're greedy. I know that that's strong. It's actually harsh, but it's true. Maybe it's hard to swallow because you've never had a greedy thought in your life. Maybe you feel compassion every time you see someone in need and in your heart, you really do want to help. You want to do to help but you can't or you won't. Why? Because you're afraid you won't have enough. Your heart generally goes out to those in need. So is it fair to say that you're greedy? Yep. Because greed is not a feeling. It's a refusal to act. Wow. Jesus has the solution to greed. You need to act. The principle that Jesus uh, teaches us in that parable, he says, you should be rich towards God, not just hoard up things for yourself. And rich towards God, as Jesus speak, for giving to those who have need and making strategic investments into his kingdom. And we do this because we realize we're not just living this life, we're preparing for the next. And so we make investments into what God is doing. So to pull the weed of greed out of our hearts, we need to give. We need to be generous. We need to be rich towards God. And how do we do that? Well, let me get super practical with you right now. Uh, This is going to get real earthy here, all right? To be able to give, and this is just a good principle for all of life with your finances, you need to create margin. You need to spend less than you earn and do that as a habit of your life throughout your life. You need to learn how to create margin. 
We see this principle in Leviticus chapter 19. I just love this. Uh, and God is giving laws to Israel on how to set up uh, the agrarian society that he is going to be the God of the people of Israel, the show people for the world, and he's giving them wisdom on how to construct a society. Being an agrarian, an agrarian society, he knew that the farmers would be the powerful people in that society. And so his instruction in Le Leviticus 19 is that the farmers, when they go to harvest their crop, should not harvest the entire crop, but along the edges of their fields, they're to leave margin of unharvested crop. He's setting up a social security system. And he does that so that the poor people among them could come to the field and harvest the margins as a way by which they can have their needs cared for. Right, and so we see this principle. Business owners, God is saying, you need to leave some money on the table. But in this, we see the compassion of God, and he's instructing the nation of Israel. Those who have plenty should be generous with those who have need. And this is the key discipline of generous people. It first starts by learning how to create margin in your finances. Now, I know, because I've been doing this for a while, that many of you are sitting here right now, and it's just like, oh, Jeff, <laughs> if you knew what was going on, I am living paycheck to paycheck, and truth be told, I started to accumulate credit card debt just to meet my basic needs. I am so far under right now, I don't even can't imagine what it's like to get uh, back to break even, let alone creating margin. It just seems so overwhelming. And I've sat with people, and that's really real pain and real difficulty. And I don't mean to minimize that, but I want to encourage you, you can do this. With God's help, you can do this. But you're also going to need to take some real practical steps. And not just if you're underwater. I wish this was for everybody would do what I'm about to encourage you to do as the right next step. I'd like everybody to consider signing up for the Financial Peace University class. This class is phenomenal. Dave Ramsey, perhaps you've heard him on the radio. This is a class that is not only biblical, it teaches you the behaviors you need. It is uber practical. And if you go on this journey, it's gonna teach you how to manage your money so that you can create margin. And margin is absolutely the critical thing that you need to be able to do. This class will help you to have financial peace instead of financial worry, right? If you don't have financial peace, you're perpetually gonna be in a, in a state of worry and that will spawn greed. Just like Florida is the perfect environment for growing weeds, it's hot, it's humid, it's wet, it's sunny. Weeds just grow here. We live in a financial society. It's the perfect environment to grow greed. Why? Because we worry. We worry, how do I go paycheck to paycheck? We worry. Am I saving enough? Will I get there in retirement? If we think we've saved enough, we worry. Will the markets crash? Will this be enough to sustain me throughout the rest of my life? Worry is just a part of living in our society. And worry causes us to transfer our trust from God and to ourselves. And then we become a candidate for greed. Proverbs 4.23 says to watch over your hearts with all diligence for from it flows the wellspring 
of life. In other words, God tells us as a regular pattern of our lives, we're to walk through the garden of our heart, looking for the weeds that might grow. When we spot that weed of greed, we're to pull it out. And the one surefire way, according to Jesus, to overcome greed and to pull that weed out is to give. To give. After we create margin, the Bible talks about giving in three different ways. The first way, the kind of the foundational way, is God prescribes what the Bible calls a tithe. God is asking us and instructing us to give 10% of our income to him. Listen to what he says in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it, all right? There is a reason why this is the one and only time in all of scripture that God invites us to test him. Why? Because giving 10% of your income is hard. You're gonna, what? I, I, I don't even have any margin right now and, and I'm supposed to figure out how to give 10%? And God says, test me. Only time in all of scripture. And this is one of those times where you either do it or you don't. And if you do, you will experience God in a way you can never otherwise experience him. And if you don't, you won't. I could stand up here and talk about chocolate. If you've never eaten chocolate, how sweet and creamy and rich and just savoring it is to, to take a bite of that chocolate. But until you do it, you've never experienced it. I used to travel to Europe quite a bit and a friend of mine went with me one time and uh, and so he, he took some money out of his own pocket and he wanted to rent a nice BMW. And we were going in Southern Bavaria where the Autobahn is a little bit more open. And as you know, no speed limit there. <laughs> it was great. And so we got going and uh, we didn't have the big sedans that can get up to 160 to 180, uh, but ours went fast enough. And so when we peaked out at 125 miles an hour, my friend cried out, this is the greatest country in the world. <laughs> And I just thought, oh, that's great. He experienced speed. Up until that time, he heard about it. He saw it on TV, maybe a little fast on I-10. Uh, but now he experienced speed. This is what God's inviting us to, to experience him. Be faithful to give back to God. And he promises to bless us. Now, the human heart is kind of a Riley beast. That could sound like a formula on how to get something from God, right? Right? How do I manipulate God to give me money? And we hear a lot of that in our today's warped society. Right? Sounds like greed, doesn't it? That's not what he's saying here. The blessing of God may include more financial increase, but God's blessing means that he's gonna care for your needs and the blessing is something better than just finances. It's fruit, the fruit of character, the fruit of the Bible speaks of fruit in terms of people, greater influence, greater opportunity to do good. Paul, when he's talking about money, says that if you give, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you might have an abundance for, watch it, every good work. God will give back to you so that you have greater capacity to participate in building his kingdom when we're faithful to give a percentage of our income back to him. There's a second way the Bible talks about giving. 
And this is called giving, I would say, spontaneously or sacrificially. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 42, give to him who asks of you and don't withhold from the person that wants to borrow from you. This type of giving goes through on when we go through life with our eyes open and our hearts soft to the leading of God and we help people. We make investments into his kingdom. And one of the greatest examples I can think of just happened right here at Summit Church on Christmas Eve. I'm just so proud of this church. If you have been with us very long, you know that on Christmas Eve, we give the entirety of that offering uh, to a ministry partner, either locally or globally. This year, we decided to partner with Young Life and Michelle Hamilton, who's leading a ministry of Young Life to tier one uh, schools here, or title one schools here in Orlando. And the kids that she serves, many of them go through the day with only one meal, meal provided by the school. They don't have, many of them, proper parental support, many without the basic essentials of life. And here, Michelle, with her team, she provides community, a place to belong. She meets their emotional needs by being their friend and spending time with them. She meets their physical needs in areas that they are going without. She finds creative ways to help supply, but most importantly, she helps them understand that they matter to God that God loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them, that he could invite them into relationship with himself. It's an incredible ministry. An average Christmas Eve offering is about seventy dollars to $80,000. Last time I checked, y'all gave $160,226.53. It's amazing. This is the kind of giving that God finds great joy in when we give to those in need. But there's a third type of giving. And I learned this from Tim Keller. And we want to look at two obscure verses from the Old Testament. Uh, one is in Proverbs 11:24. It says, there is one who scatters, just throws things out there, and yet increases all the more. And then the one who withholds what is justly due and this person results only in want. In Psalm 112, verse 9, he says, He who has given freely to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And what's so interesting about these verses is this idea of kind of giving freely out there is a word that's not used very often for giving. It's the Hebrew word pazur. And Pazur gives this connotation that it's just generous to the point of just kind of throwing it out there, scattering it. It's just excessive throwing it around, brashly doing so. Just give. Just almost lack of control giving. Just get it out there. And this is the kind of giving that God is lauding in these verses. The normal verse in Hebrew would be nathan, to take something from one place and to deposit it over into another. That, that's the word forgiving. But pazur is just kind of this wanton letting it go. All right, and Tim Keller calls this shocking giving. In other words, you give in such a way that if other people knew about it, and of course, that's not something we broadcast, and they saw your giving patterns, it would shock them. Now, people that give this way, they've got a few things settled in their hearts. The first one is they, they know that everything they have 
is God's, right? And this is just something we all have to wrestle with and come to grips with. Everything that you have in your life is because God has allowed you to have it. King David knew this when he was praying after raising all the money to build the temple and himself sacrificially giving. He says, who am I and who are our people that we would be able to offer this generous gift to you, God, for all things come from you and from your hand we were given everything. It's all his. One of my favorite stories, I heard this as a college student, and there was a young guy who was in ministry who had saved up his money, and he bought himself a little sporty red car. Not a, not a sports car, but a sporty red car. And sure enough, one day a thunderstorm came through, and after the thunderstorm cleared, he ran out of the house, and he went out to the car, and sure enough, a large branch had come down and done severe damage to his car. And the first thing he said out of his mouth is, Lord, look what you did to your car. <laughs> he had it under, he understood. Shocking givers know that all I own is God's. Shocking givers also have their eyes open to the spiritual realities around us. The Bible says that we walk by faith, not by sight. There's an unseen kingdom all around us. One of my favorite stories on this is found in 2 Kings 6 where Elisha the prophet is there in Jerusalem and uh, he's with his servant and they are surrounded by a, a very formidable army from the king of Aram. And Elisha's cool as a cucumber, but his servant is like knees knocking and he's like, what's going on? And so Elisha says, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And the servants look at him. So Elisha prays that the servant's eyes might be open to the spiritual realities. And his eyes were opened and he saw in the mountains surrounding the armies of God and the chariots of fire. God's army was bigger, stronger, and better. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would have our eyes open to the spiritual realities. This life is not all there is. This life, in some ways, is an investment for the next. And so we need to live in this reality that we get this privilege of an opportunity to invest finite resources, to participate with God as he's building his infinite and eternal kingdom. It only makes sense when your eyes are open. Shocking givers also have found their security in Christ. Last week I mentioned that these, these sins oftentimes are a good desire being fulfilled in a wrong way. In other words, greed is a wrong way to fulfill the desire for security. Right? And when we stop trusting God to meet our needs, we're inevitably we're going to feel insecure because we're going to transfer that trust to, to stuff. Paul says... Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do you see that? God's saying, if you've got money, don't trust the money. Trust me. And then he goes on to say, be generous and ready to share with those who have need. One of my favorite stories from my dad, my dad passed about a year and a half ago, uh, was when I was a young man, and God had put it on my heart that I, I think he wanted me to go into ministry. This was right after I had finished my degree in business at University of Michigan. 
And uh, I had paid for this. I had worked hard. My dad saw how hard I worked. So I was a bit nervous. My dad was a young Christian at the time to be able to walk in and say, hey, I want to not pursue what I've been preparing for, and I want to pursue something totally different. And, uh, and so I got up the courage. I walked in. I told him what I was thinking. And uh, my dad, when he would want to contemplate something, would go to his mustache. He didn't pass that along to me. I can't even grow one. I'm 60 years old. Uh, but he'd go to his mustache. He kind of thought. And uh, he said, well, I guess working for God is more reliable than the American economy. I said, oh, in that, I got my dad's blessing. My dad understood already as a young Christian, God provides security. He's the one we should trust. And then shocking givers, they find their significance in Christ. All right, another good desire that if you put trust money to give you significance, you're going to be empty. It'll never be enough. If your self-worth is tied to your net worth, you're never going to be the person that you think you want to be. You were created for significance, and that means you're created the image of Christ, and you were to reign with him and to serve with him. And Jesus repaired the breach and made it possible for us to join him in the building of his kingdom. That, my friends, is a life of significance, not accumulating stuff. I love the wisdom of Will Rogers. He says, too many people spend money they don't have to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't even like. I think he understands that we fall into the trap that our stuff makes us somebody. And then finally, shocking givers, they want to be like Jesus. Think about it. The most shocking gift ever was for God so loved the world that he gave. You're never more like God than when you give. He gave his one and only son. Jesus said, no one takes my life, but I lay it down of my own accord. He models for us what it is to shockingly give. Jesus gave it all. He poured out his soul. He left heaven, emptied himself, became a man, and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. He models for us what I'm talking about this morning. He sets the standard on living for the sake of others. That is a life well lived. Friends, giving is the virtue that changes everything. This is where you'll be able to experience God, where you'll be able to participate with him, where you will be rich not only in this life because of the blessing you have, but you'll be rich towards God. And so my prayer is that God would help us to take steps that we could become generous people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, uh, for the opportunity to study the vices and virtues. And, and Lord, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, but Lord, I'm so thankful that you are so gracious, so compassionate, so kind, that Lord, when we inevitably find things that are lacking in our character, you don't stand in condemnation over us, but Lord, you just tenderly invite us by your kindness, by your love, by your grace, to move away from the things that hurt us and enter into the life that you have in mind for us, a virtuous life, 
where we get to walk with you and to serve you. And so God, help us all today to grow in this virtue of generosity. In Christ's name, amen.